Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the unprecedented podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Cliff Schechter, here with my ever gracious co-host, John Aravosis. Hey, John. Hey, Cliff. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You guys may have all noticed that things have been kind of crazy out there. Um, and, um, you know, questions we've asked often on the podcast, how much of it's coming from within or without of the, you know, outside of the country, how much is cyber influenced. And so we are lucky to have with us an expert on this. We have Alan W. Silverberg with us. Um, he is the CEO of DigiJax. Um, I better have said that right, Alan. Yes, um, thank you. Their global crisis and cybersecurity. He is the CEO and founder. Um, uh, Alan also in his past, in a past life, uh, worked for the Clinton administration and on the Clinton campaigns, kind of like I did. Um, and, um, anything else important to note, Alan? Uh, I, oh, about, you wrote a book. I, I, yeah, I wrote a book about a year and a half ago called Bots Against Us, which was basically detailing how, you know, the Russians and the Trump campaign in 2016, um, cooperated to, to help Trump, uh, obtain the White House. Right. And what I find interesting and I want to get into because people don't often talk enough is, you know, when you talk about psychological operations, psyops and what exactly that means and how we, you know, but let's start with the attack on the Capitol and all of the dissension from, you know, the craziness of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and others to, to you know, um, uh, the, the Stop the Steal campaign and all the stuff that happened after Donald Trump lost the election in a large loss. Um what? How much of that? Well, tell us your what you've seen and what you've come across in terms of how much of that is influenced by other outside actors, be they far right groups, Russians, or other countries. Um, so that's a, first off, thank you very much. And that was a great, you know, insight. Um, you know, five years ago in late 2015, uh, the reason I started paying attention to the Russians' involvement in Trump was that a, a cybersecurity friend of mine sent me an article that was originally in in Finnish and I had to have it translated and it talked about this relationship between the far right wing in America and certain Russian groups. Um, they were using the internet to, to basically collaborate to figure out a way to beat Hillary Clinton. This is like late 2015. Yeah. Um, and so ever since then, I've been really on this, on this sort of, sort of track. I call it a toxic marriage. It's, it's really this gross, you know, perverted, like, let's get the most extreme people in one country and the most extreme people in another country. Let's let them use multiple forms of internet and telephonic communications and plan and, and share money with each other and do it openly. And no one's going to stop them. And that's basically what's happened for years. And so I think January 6th was a, a horrific shock. I mean, I, I, like every other American, I hope was, I could not believe what I saw. Um, and very quickly, I started thinking to myself, gee, this really reminds me of some of these riots and some of the uh, activities that Russia had sponsored where they created a fake website, got real Americans to sign up on this fake website and then show up somewhere, you know, in real life. And they've been practicing this for years. They, they, and we saw this in the 2016 election. We saw it in the 2018 elections, 2020. And uh, Robert Mueller talked about it in his report and also the Senate committee talked about it in their reports, which is this sort of this relationship the, between the biker gangs and other right-wing groups, religious groups, um, you know, and so very immediately in the aftermath of January 6th, 
uh, you know, I was trying to help people sort of help identify some of the pictures and share some of the images and video and audio of what had happened. And there are several images and video of where you could hear Russian in the background. Uh, you know, being, along with all the English and people yelling, there were people speaking Russian. There were also a few people arrested in January 6th insurrection who required a Russian translator. I saw that. Oh, like, I saw I that too. Yeah. Speak English. Yeah. So, so, so the question in my mind isn't like, isn't did Russia do all this? No, I don't think that's the case at all. I think what it is, is they basically, you know, have been cooperating with these far right wing groups for years. They saw an opportunity to agitate and, and basically the, the right, the money probably came from, from right wing, you know, us people, but, but the influence and the, the domains and the websites and how to use them and how to use the Cambridge Analytica information to really target micro target people who are already affiliated with QAnon or who are already, already separate from their government and already separate from their party and on now really separate from reality. Um, and Russia has become very good at, and this is sort of one of those underlying themes that Mueller kind of talked about. He, he wrote about it, and, and you know, but there wasn't a lot of discussion about this sort of how does right. Russia use websites to attract real Americans to do something real in real life. So, you know, we, we, we we're looking at the sixth and, and another um I mean, you just keep coming across these data points, right? And I don't, I, I, I try not to be conspiratorial, but I also try not to sort of let the, the people, people say, oh, it's a conspiracy, so you can't believe it. Like, so you, for example, parlor, as I like to call it, parlay, um, because they spelled it like the French, and I'm sorry, I'm not, uh, if they can't spell it right, it's French. Um, the, the, the founder met his wife in, you know, in, Saint, uh, in Las Vegas, who was on a two-week trip or something, who was Russian. But she wasn't just Russian, right? It's not like every Russian person. You're like, you must be a... She She was from like this prominent family where her mom, I think, was a mayor of some town. Her grandmother had been given the order of, I don't know, Stalin, Lenin. I should really get all that right. But the point is, is they were a long time associated with the government, you know, family, I mean, that that were friendly with Putin. Do we think this is just an accident? Well, and now, and now Parler or whatever you want to call it, uh, I mean, now that they got booted off of all the platforms in America, they got now they're being hosted by a company that's essentially owned by a Russian group. So their, their hosting is occurring from Russia now. So that just adds. I mean, again, you start seeing enough of this stuff. Um, so so give me give us like an idea. Like, are there are there specific um, examples along the way? Or is it more just sort of generic noise? Well, I, I think let's start with Ferguson riots. <laughs> um, you know, we all remember how horrific the Ferguson riots were. Um, there always seemed to be an outside sort of agitation element to it. And, you know, in later years, it became clear that the Russians had been involved in, in not creating the riots, but in definitely kind of bringing some of the fringe elements out <clears throat> to, to participate. Um, into the 2016 election, um, there were documented events that were fake, that were created by, you know, fake Americans who had fake social media accounts <clears throat> with big American flags talking about how much they loved barbecue and football. Um, and they would say, hey, we're having a rally somewhere in Texas, you know, to help Trump defeat uh, Clinton. And in reality, 12 people would show up and it would be a fake thing. Right. Right. So I think what's been going on. Um, what they did with the cybersecurity very successfully, and you've seen it now recently with the Solar Winds hack and Orion hack uh, that occurred throughout the supply chain computer systems of the government, 
Um, the Russians have a long-term game. They, they call it the long game. And, and they didn't do any of this stuff by accident. So I think what's been going on is they've been practicing with these sort of live events over the years. Um, right. <clears throat> over this past summer, when we were all locked down and then the, the Black Lives Matters protests erupted, um, some of those protests were genuine, for sure, 100%. And there were also some that seemed to be staged. And they seem to have this outside element that was looking to create a violent element and to create this clash between the police. Right. And so there were some cities where that didn't occur at all. And there were some cities where that seemed to be the point, like Portland and you, Seattle. You bring that up because it's important to note, you said this to me when we talked the other day, and this is Russia's model all across Europe and everywhere else too, which is they also try to push conspiracies and agitate on the far left to pull people away from sort of reasonable, progressive, call it whatever, socialist, yes, center-left, progressive politics, right? Definitely, definitely. But you have to add this huge element now of the digital domain, the psychological operations that comes with this. Um, you know, none of us can discount what happened with, the, with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook in 2015 and 16. And so what the Trump campaign and the Russians probably have together is my guess they have a shared database of basically all the people that Cambridge Analytica picked out um, that were susceptible to this. And if you look at QAnon, QAnon almost definitely started as some sort of, you know, Russian sort of like bull. Can I curse on your podcast? Absolutely. On some sort of bullshit of, of Russia, like, you know, trying to stir up division in America. And I probably thought there was going to be a joke. And I guess they, there were enough susceptible uh, <clears throat> brain dead people in America that they fell for it. And, and then all these American right-wing groups pile on, and so it becomes very difficult to sort of separate who started what and where does the origination come from. But yeah. we, we, none of us can forget this Cambridge, and Cambridge Analytica and Facebook aspect to all this because they basically have the ability to micro-target um, any type of social media or media information to um, tens of millions of Americans. John, you have some questions? Not yet, though. I'm just kind of I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. um, well, so, I mean, if you don't, I'll ask something. No, no, go ahead. So when you're talking about Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, I mean, people hear about PSYOPs, right, psychological operations. And we've had some folks, we had Malcolm Nance on. I mean, we've talked a little bit about some of these things. But I don't know that we've gone into detail, like, you know, what is a PSYOP? And it's important now, especially because in the past, you know, you had to do it more writ large, right? Leaflets and, and you know, what it was done with news channels, and they still do some of these kinds of things. But now with the internet, the micro-targeting, as you point out. So explain to people, like, if they're going to commit some sort of a PSYOP, what we're talking about. Sure. I mean, the term PSYOPs, <clears throat> psychological operations, it's a military term. It's, it's, a, it's a use. It's a, something that's used by militaries. It's also used by police. And, you know, now it's being used against civilians in ways that would, would have been inconceivable to, to the people who created the idea of it. You know, um, the social media and digital media spread things at such a fast rate and, and globally. Uh, <clears throat> so if you have an idea that you want to plant in someone's head that's wrong or you want, to, you want to plant misinformation or you want to get them to hate something or to dislike something, you start by, well, where do we get to this person's head? Like, where are they? Where are, are they rich? Are they poor? Are they, are they Jewish? Are they Catholic? Are they, are they Christian? Are they, are they African-American? Are they, you know, Asian? Right. I mean, and are they married? Are they divorced? Do they have kids? Are they sick? You know, really start zeroing in on these things. 
And because of the Cambridge Analytica hack with Facebook, they got, they siphoned off all of those Facebook profiles of all those people. So they're able to micro-target this information. And when I say micro-target, in the digital sense, the psychological operations micro-targeting can be basically the three of us on this podcast could actually all receive different messages from the same social media platform targeted each to us. Based upon our characteristics and the ways they think it'll play to our anger or our fear. And, and or based on how much they actually know about us already from previous hacks. Well, can I, can I ask you, you actually think that what the Russians are doing in part with all of their social media strategy is now targeting individuals? Because it I'd has, always... I'd always for years. Okay, because I'd always worried that... Now, okay, for elections, right? For elections, and I mean, and Cliff is our election guy, our election expert. Um, you know, if you're targeting a congressional district, for example, you would be going after individuals because you're going after such a small part of the country and you're fighting for possibly a few votes, things like that. But for this sort of international intrigue, I always imagined it would be more, like you said at the beginning, you know, uh, what they did in 2016. Remember, was it was it uh, Blacks for Trump or whatever yeah, it was? Yeah, exactly. Were, were... And there's also Latinos for Trump. They did the yeah. same thing so in, was sort in of this, 2020. This, exactly. This sort of aggregate fooling the public is what I imagine them doing it's, or, or put out anti-vaccine stuff now, anti-mask right. stuff. But, but why would they, why would they want to target individuals? Okay. Versus okay. Before I get to the, what well, your second part of your question, yeah. anti-vaccine mask. Um, so it's a two-step phase. Okay. And one thing is like a really broad sort of almost like a radio station, just broadcasting out. Okay. Right. Then the second form or there's really a third form so the second form is what you just said sort of that targeting of a geo located area or a, a, a certain um political leaning area okay right. right but in this case what they used the micro targeting for was to target the disassociated the people who were already disaffected with the government the people who were like running around saying that they have like you know their own ability to write taxes and to arrest people and uh, ah, you okay know, well so they're targeting they were targeting those people who are already at the edge who were so trying to create, who, trying to create probably, insurrectionist connections. Exactly, and, and if they if they were smart because they have the information, they were probably targeting those who have guns, those who've had psychological problems, and those who have money problems. So Marjorie right. Taylor Greene is like is like top on Putin's exactly. Facebook yeah. page. Yeah. yeah, and 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 her and and Mike the the the, the two General Flynns of the world, and yep. you know uh, the all those people in that milieu are. They're tied to Russia in a way that none of us can comprehend. What's the yeah. why? What's the reason? Like, is it money? Not all these people are getting paid from Russia. Obviously, Russia is broke. And, and, but the psychological element of being online 24 hours a day, especially in a pandemic, and you're locked at home, and you're, all you're doing is either watching TV or staring at your computer, you know, um, the ability for people to manipulate other people through that, those mediums is, is right. greatly enhanced in a period of, of psychological fear. That's right. And I mean, obviously, so it, it's almost like it, it reminds me of how, you know, the NRA and they've been pushing some of this messaging for years and shockingly they're, they were in, in bed with Russia. Um, they benefit from those events, the, the, you know, school shootings uh, yeah. tragically because people are more scared and then people are more likely to go to them and buy more guns. And so it's the same thing here. And now a word from our sponsors. Isier. That is A-I-S-I-E-R. What is it? 
luxurious modern sleepwear for the independent woman. Their sleepwear is made from 100% washable silk. Oh, silk is known to reduce skin surface moisture loss and limit skin irritation. Best of all, it's comfortable, so lightweight, it feels like a second skin. It'll keep you warm in the winter and cool in the summer with a fabric that loves your skin all year round. And in every type of weather, wearing silk to sleep is simply therapy at night. Izier is owned by an amazing woman, a single mom. Their products are made right here in California. You can feel good about supporting a small business delivering high-quality products. Now is the perfect time. Treat yourself or a loved one to something extra special to sleep and lounge in during Izier's Valentine's sale. Go to shopizier.com slash discount slash Stephanie. Use the discount code Stephanie, 10% off your order. That's shop, A-I-S-I-E-R.com slash discount slash Stephanie. Use that code Stephanie for 10% off your order. And now back to our show. Well, I think you bring up a hugely important point with the NRA, and I agree with you completely. And and in the Robert Mueller report, you know, he detailed the the the, the relationship between the NRA and uh, money laundering activities from Russia. Um, right. And in the, in the Mueller report, I believe they, their number was something like seventy million or hundred million dollars. There's a lot of money right. that over the years has been funneled from Ukrainian and Russian oligarchs through through the NRA into the GOP. So to me, that's kind of like, that's the thing. Everyone always says it's like blackmail and compromise and they must have naked pictures of so-and-so hanging upside down in, in a trapeze, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I think a lot of this is about the almost all the, the, the current existing sitting GOP has, has received laundered money from the NRA from Russia. It's interesting. Yeah, there was a report at some point, and I, you know, more folks haven't picked up on it, which is really frustrating. It was actually the Dallas Morning News that pointed out um, a number of oligarchs, you know, and some folks that were sort of born. So they were they could give to our process, right? They're born here in Brooklyn, right, and, or places like that. Their families had emigrated here, but they were they were they had friendly relationships with with uh, Putin. Or the dual, or the dual nationals, yeah. Right, and they'd given numerous, like big sums to McConnell Super PAC. Yep. Some people point that out with Lindsey Graham. Yeah, but know. that's even, but that's like a trickle in the barrel. I mean, really, the the money that was laundered through the, the National Rifle Association directly from Russian sources and laundered is the only way to put it. They were not doing it legally. Right. That money was distributed by the NRA. <clears throat> Any Republican who took money from the NRA theoretically has taken money from russia which is all of them and then you, there's other groups too right they weren't they which one was it john um one of the i don't know if it was focus on the family one of the right-wing christian groups was the prayer breakfast somehow they were involved with these with with like far-right christian groups too where it seemed like they may have funneled money through them also yeah no it's a total toxic marriage and all the and they're all like it's you know and they they hide and then when these things come out they pretend there's no relationship and they don't know what anyone's talking about hmm. um one could call that very dangerous. Um, so this has been going on, obviously, at least you're saying since Ferguson, probably longer. Uh, they've just probably gotten bolder and bolder about what they're doing. Well, they've gotten you know, better. More importantly, they've gotten better. They've learned how to what works and what doesn't work, and they've learned our weaknesses. So they're now able to go around and do the things and go under our soft bellies. Great. Um, <laughs> so what do we do? Yeah, that's where I was going to go. I figured. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, I've actually been trying to think about that. That's a really good question. Um, I think if you look at the model of South Africa after, after apartheid, um, they created a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and they actually 
dragged everybody through the mud for a couple of years and they got stuff on the record. And I think even if people don't go to jail here, I think that is what has to happen here. The, the, there needs to be clarity because there's been so much uh, mind-numbing, brainwashing, cult behavior. And, and now we have to drag the country out of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting you pick that because I've heard a few others. I feel like uh, we had at one point Congressman Swalwell on here. I believe he made that comparison too and said we needed like a truth and reconciliation yeah, committee. Yeah. Um, because again, it, it isn't just about, I mean, you know, the Republicans purposely played the whole, oh, you just want to get revenge, you know, and obviously we hate some of these people. It's hard. It's impossible not to. They're terrible people. But the bigger issue is democracy. That if there's not accountability, if we're not exposing what they're doing, if we're not making sure that people pay a price, then, then you know, if bad people have no disincentives because they're not moral people. So that's not going to stop them. Um, and, and, you know, but the question is how we put together a Truth and Reconciliation Committee if the Republicans I, fought it. I mean, all it's going to take right. it's going to take a lot of courage on both sides, clearly. And, and I think it'll take a lot of sort of normal people saying, hey, we really need some kind of like you know, accountability here. Um, and, and that's number one. I think, but you earlier kind of touched on masks and anti-vax stuff. And I really want to just touch on that for a second also, because the riots that we saw over the summer, um, the BLM riots, really, I believe, started with these sort of takeovers of the Michigan State Capitol and other uh, official government agencies during March and April, which were like the anti-mask, you know, supposedly these armed anti-mask people showing up saying that it was against their American freedoms, you know, to, uh, to have to wear a mask. So they had to show up at a state Capitol with the AK 47. Um, right. And um, I think that if you look at what happened there and the fact that those people weren't arrested on the spot, the national guard was not caught out on the spot. I think that that emboldened both the right wing in America and the Russians who have sort of been pulling some of those strings to try keep trying. And I think so that when, when Trump kept saying free Michigan or free this state or free that right. state, I think that was messaging basically to try to get these uprisings to occur. Cause it was my belief at the time that if they were occurring, the federal government wasn't going to really do much. And then that would have set the sort of precedent for the federal government, not doing very much in something larger, which is what we saw. Right. So when we don't do something, they push it a little further, and then they push it a little further, and it just sort of keeps going. Yeah, um, and I think and that in the, in, the Mueller, in the Mueller report, he talked a lot about the the this, the, the relationship between the, the – the, he talked about the criminal relationship, okay? But what was not discussed in the Mueller report at all was this, this what's called the quote-unquote counterintelligence, you know, uh, investigations. Yeah. Um, and in many things, what we're talking about here, these psychological operations, these types of websites, the social media pushes, right. uh, it actually, I think, falls more into that second category because it's hard. It is criminal, but it's hard to prove the criminality. It's it's easier to prove that there's something going on that's wrong. <laughs> um, you know, right. and, and, and I think that there, the Mueller report, unfortunately, um, was not able to address those issues. The Senate report did, but it's classified, so none of us have seen it. Um, but the, 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 that's the, that sort of that second part to me is the glue that kind of holds all this together. Right. Do you? Um, I'm interested in this. Do you think? I mean, is there any utility for them when it comes to sort of these psyops that they do? Are they they targeting people like us? 
or do they just ignore us and figure, you know, we're setting our views? Oh, um, no, no. They definitely, tar- they definitely target us as well. Um, uh, during the 2016 election, because I was being very vocal on calling out the Russian trolls and calling out the, the people in America who were um, really retweeting the Kremlin within mi- milliseconds, you know? <laughs> Um, right. And I got I ended up getting harassed by the um, official uh, uh, Russian embassy Twitter account for London. Oh, yeah, that one was a very I remember that one. That was an active one. They I are still it's, that's still one of their main active accounts that they use to harass regular people. Um, and they tagged me in a tweet. Um, uh, it was dated. I remember this specifically. It was dated October 15th. 2016 and it was a survey uh, a taunt a taunting survey right. should countries be allowed to hack the uh, information of other countries oh god and it was a yes or no survey and they tagged me and five other people whom i didn't know who those people were um and uh and then uh, i called them out on it i blatantly like retweeted it and i basically you know, said like, what the fuck is the Russian embassy doing writing a survey like this two weeks before an election? Are they, they're obviously admitting guilt. And, you know, then my name and everyone else's name got taken out of the tags of that tweet, but I had managed to screen hmm. save it. What were they, what were they trying to do? What was the point of them doing? Were they trying to get you to click and hack your machine computer? Or something? No, well, no. Intimidating. Computer, no. I, well, intimidation was one level. I think it was actually, this was more like, you know, hackers have a tendency to brag when they've pulled something off, right? Um, and and they'll they'll brag pretty loudly often. You know, hey, look what I did! I I took down so and so bank, or I, you know, I stopped the shuttle launch from happening, or right. and <laughs> and so in this case, I interpreted it as the the IRA, the, the Internet Research Agency of Russia, basically taunting America, saying, "Look what we're doing! We we did it! You guys suck!" Right. So to sort of that's one of their tactics too to sort of like get you to disengage because you feel like it's like learned helplessness, right? There's nothing yeah, you can and, do. And then they also have a whole army of trolls who will beat on you. I mean, we've all experienced this on various social media. You know, the minute you say something and you there's one keyword that you use that happens yeah. to be the yeah. keyword of the day, like all of a sudden yeah. there's like 500 accounts pummeling you. You know, yeah. in five minutes. Well, like anything in life, I think people have multiple motivations. I think a lot of it's it, you know it's not just this stuff if you think about what you know cults prey on if you think about what religious extremist movements prey on if you think whatever it's always finding people that have uh, you know some sort of a psychological need or 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 financial you know financial need right psychological weakness or that kind of thing so i mean well yeah i think january 6th was the was the unfortunately was the was the horrific outcome of years and years and years of that kind of messaging and targeting and you know, and they did assemble an army. They assembled an army of really messed up, psychologically broken, you know, uh, people who are willing to commit horrific acts. So what happens right. next? I mean, take it from January 6th. If you're the Russians looking at this, what you've done, what it accomplished, what do you do next? Well, they lost their guy in the Oval Office. So obviously they don't have, you know, 24 hour like instant communications going on about what's happening in our in our government anymore. Um now it's maybe only every 10 minutes they get to update. Uh, um, I mean, I'm all kidding aside. I think it's a serious problem. Um, and I think that, the, 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 unfortunately, the ability of the Trump people and 
the Senate Republicans to brush aside these sort of the truths about these hardcore people from America and Russia who are who are in bed together. Um, instead of treating it like, oh, it's like a sideshow and you know, oh look at those sort of goofballs. They're they're really not they don't really represent the rest of us. When in reality, this is like this is the this is the DNA of the modern Republican Party right now because they've taken so much money through the NRA from Russia. It's just they they don't even understand that they're committing crimes and that they're doing something that's unpatriotic and and then they turn around and wave the flag in the form of underwear in our faces and say, you know, where's your respect for the flag? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I I find that stuff. It, that's the fascinating too, and obviously, no extremist movement like that can get to that point without all the others sort of whistling past the graveyard and allowing it to happen. Definitely, um, and, you know, and, and, you add the, and you add the guns in this country. The fact that fifty percent of American households have at least one gun, um, you know, and and, that, and that's a situation that most countries don't have. So when you throw that political turmoil, and then you throw a, a hostile foreign nations sort of interaction mixing up with these domestic terrorists, it really becomes a very dangerous uh, mix. Which is well, it's actually worse than that in some ways. Um, you know, I've done a lot of work on the gun issue, and actually, you know, more recent estimates are that it's fallen more towards a third of the country. But what you know have guns. But what the here's the issue. The problem is, is the people that have them now have many more of them. So if you're trying to psychologically target people, you know who your contingent is because it's not it, – there aren't as many of just the, hey, I've got a hunting rifle. It's like it is much more of the I don't have a gun or I've got a bunker filled with 45 of them. Or oh, yeah. No, for sure. And I think they also target the people who are buying thousands of rounds of ammunition. That's the thing is they can find any of this stuff. Oh, so right. so, right. so when Trump was taken off of Twitter and Facebook, although he made it <laughs> back on Facebook, uh, God help us, but, you know, Instagram, Shopify, pretty funny some of the things they kicked him off of. Um, Grubhub, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Too many damn cheeseburgers, probably. Two scoops all the time. Um, but... <laughs> When, when all that happened, there was an estimate at the time that, that disinformation online went down by 73%. You've been listening to a free excerpt of the Unprecedented Podcast. To hear the rest of the show and hear all of our past shows and support our work as independent media, please go to patreon.com slash unprecedentedpodcast and become a subscriber for as little as $5 a month. You can have all of our old episodes, see all of our Zoom interviews, and support the great work that we hope you think we're doing promoting the democratic and liberal agenda. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. See you next episode. And now a word from our sponsors. Cliff, we are so grateful that vaccinations for COVID-19 are underway. Unfortunately, yes. at the very time there is, yes, at the very time there is light at the end of the tunnel, infection rates and hospitalizations are at all-time highs across the country. In California, some hospitals are turning away patients for threatening to ration care. While we are nearing the finish line for this brutal epidemic, uh, getting there means staying safe. For the foreseeable future, only respirator face masks provide real protection from transmission. Unfortunately, the huge demand and limited supply of respirators means we are flooded with fakes and counterfeits that do almost nothing right now the new deal shop.com has fda authorized kn95 respirator masks with anti-fraud labeling on every single package that can be verified right on the manufacturer's website they're tested in the u.s by the npptl and provide the most significant level of protection these are respirator the masks are 
NPPTL. You might want to Google that. Sounds I like don't know. Movie Dodgeball. They're like the, the American Association for Dodgeball Association of America. I okay, don't, mark sorry, our, don't mark our clients' association. Um, oh, that's our client. Okay, I'm wrong. Well, they kind of are. These respirator masks are in stock in the U.S. and ship immediately for free. Go to thenewdealshop.com now and get verified, authenticated, FDA-authorized KN95 masks shipped immediately to your home or business. That's thenewdealshop.com, thenewdealshop.com.